Welcome to the study of the book of Revelation, taught by Michael Fitzgerald, senior pastor of Clifford Baptist Church. These lessons come from a Wednesday night study of the book, so the format is more of a classroom setting. Included in this Revelation series are written study notes, which can be accessed with each lesson in the series. We are moving along through it. In fact, we're going to open chapter 2 tonight. But as we enter chapter 2, let me just make sure we back up and get everybody on the same page here. We are looking at a book, the last book of the Bible that was written by the Apostle John. He is the same author of the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John in your Bible. And of course now he has written the book of the Revelation. He was a preacher of the Gospel. He was the one disciple, the one apostle of the Lord who lived into old age. The other 11 seemed to die very early in life as martyrs to the faith, most of them. However, John was the one who was allowed to live by the hand of God to be an old man. He was a preacher of the gospel in the Roman Empire. However, because of his proclamation of the faith, the proclamation of Jesus Christ as Savior, the Roman Empire not only arrested him but also exiled him out of the land to an island that sits in the Aegean Sea, the island of Patmos. And that island of Patmos is like the Alcatraz of our day. Uh, And when a man went there, it would seemingly be for the remainder of his life. There is evidence that John was released from the island and came back to the churches as a very old man in the last few days of his life. But as John is living on the island of Patmos one Lord's Day, which would be a Sunday. The Lord spoke to John, and he said, I want you to write the things down that you see. And he is told by God to write down three things. You can find this key outline in uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. This is the outline of the entire book. God says, the Lord Jesus, if you have a red-letter Bible, you see that these are Jesus' words. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. That's the outline of the book. So, three points. First of all, and I think this is in your little outline if you'd like to write it down tonight. You are to write down, John, what you have seen. And that is the vision of the risen, mighty Jesus Christ that we have studied in chapter 1. Again, I remind you that John's perspective of Jesus the Lord was so unusual in that this man walked with Jesus while he was a minister on this earth. He walked with Jesus in those three years of his earthly ministry and outreach and preaching and teaching. He loved the Lord Jesus, so much so that uh, in that supper that the disciples shared with the Lord, John is the one who laid his head on Jesus' chest. John is also the one who saw Jesus not only punished in the moments before the cross, but saw the Lord Jesus on the old rugged cross, and it was to the apostle John that Jesus entrusted the care of his own mother while he hung on the cross He entrusted the care of his mother Mary into John's hand. 
And yet now John has seen Jesus Christ in his resurrected form, and that's what he sees in chapter 1 of the book of the Revelation. He doesn't see the man of God who walked with one set of clothes and dirty feet and sandals through the soils of the Holy Land, but rather he sees a mighty, risen, powerful, reigning, judging Jesus Christ. So the Lord tells him in that first point of the book, write down what you have seen. That's the vision of Jesus. Now, the second point, second phase of the outline, write down the things which are. That's on your sheet as well. Write down the things which are. John is going to write seven letters to seven present-day churches in the setting of his time frame. Those churches are in Asia Minor, so you will see that uh, you are to write down the things which are. That would be seven letters to seven churches. Then the third aspect or the third point of this outline uh, is John is to write down God's prophecy of the future, the things that shall be hereafter. That's the prophecy that is coming. So the third phase of this prophecy will begin in chapter 4. So we're going to look at the seven letters, and then we will go on to chapter 4 to see the things which shall be. So tonight, we open chapter 2, and we're going to look at the first letter of the seven that John writes to the churches in Asia Minor. Those churches are located what we know as a present-day Turkey, but we're going to the letters of God to seven churches. Now, let me tell you a little bit more about these seven churches, seven letters, before we get to the one specific letter. These letters have a twofold interpretation. They had a direct message that applied to every one of those churches in its present ministry, in its present day. It had a message that was applied directly to that one church. But then secondly, the seven messages to these churches present a picture of all the churches of all the ages. Some theologians say that with the passage of every one of the churches, beginning with Ephesus, ending with Laodicea, it lays out the church's life in each age of the world. And if that is so, it seems highly probable that we are in the age of Laodicea. We're in the last phase of the church age. But so the twofold interpretation, each letter has a very current message for that particular church, but also as we look at these seven letters to the churches, it addresses every church of the ages throughout the time that the church exists in the world. I believe that every joy and every victory and every problem and every downfall of the church is mentioned in these seven letters. I believe that these, church, these letters give us a well-rounded picture of everything that can happen in the contemporary church as well as in the ancient church to which they were first sent. Now, you will notice in these letters, and this is on your sheet now, that God gives a word of commendation and also then a word of condemnation to the churches. Now, there are some exceptions there. This is on your sheet. The exceptions are there are no words of condemnation or criticism to Philadelphia and Smyrna. And sadly, there is no word of commendation to the church at Laodicea. 
So with that brief outline, we're going to open the first of the seven letters tonight. Uh, and we're going to look at the letter to the church in Ephesus, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Now, before we read the letter itself, let me give you a little background to the city of Ephesus. This was a very busy city. This is on your sheet. It has the largest harbor in Asia Minor. Uh, Ephesus was considered a cultural center with a great influence in Asia as well as in Europe. The population of Ephesus was around 2 million people, and it was also the center of pagan religion in that particular area. The Temple of Diana, that's on your sheet, was located there, uh, and th that temple itself was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was so beautiful, so ornate. However, Diana was the Greek goddess of fertility for sexual desire. Now, the interesting thing about the temple is that it also served as the principal bank for that region, that area in Asia. Vast sums of money flowed through the temple of Diana. Now, on a worldly scale, when a temple is dedicated to sexual pleasure and when it is dedicated to money, I believe you know that that place is going to be a magnet for worldly, sinful, decadent lifestyles. That's what was being drawn to the city of Ephesus through this temple of Diana. Largely due to this temple, Asia Minor in this area was grossly immoral. Ephesus was a very, very immoral city. But at the heart of Ephesus was a band of Christians, a band of believers, Christ's church. And here's the letter that John sends to that church in this city of tremendous need to these Christians who are reaching out with the love of Jesus Christ to two million people. So let's look at the letter. F, uh, we're looking at Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, the letter to Ephesus. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou, thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh 
will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. That then is the letter to the church at Ephesus, which the Apostle John writes under the direct inspiration and wording of Jesus Christ. Now, in this letter, Jesus assures the Ephesian church that he walks among them and that he holds the leaders in his hand. And Jesus gives six commendations or positive points about this church. You'll find them in verses 2 and 3, but if you'd like to write them down, here are the six commendations that the Lord gives to the church at Ephesus. Number one, he says, I know thy works. Jesus is saying that he has followed the progress of their ministry. That is true for us as well. He knows the works of his church. He sees what's going on. He sees what's happening. He knows what we're doing in the ways of outreach. He knows that the church is working for him. As we look at the Ephesian church, he knows what they're doing for him. And in that regard, this is a positive point. He is pleased that he knows their works, and he's affirming them for reaching out with the love of Christ in this lost city. The second thing that comes as a commendation, he says, I know thy labor. Now, the Greek word labor carries a meaning of work that always produces weariness. They are working so hard that when they hit the bed at night, they are tired because of their extreme labors in the kingdom of God through their church. The work, the labor that we see here is ongoing. It is constant. It is persistent. There is such a great need in their community, in their world that surrounds them, and certainly in the city of Ephesus that was true, that these Christians had to work so hard for the Lord, they had to expend a great deal of energy to reach out with the love of the Savior. So the Lord Jesus says, I know your labor. I know you go to bed tired. It's a word of commendation. Thirdly, the Lord says, I know thy patience. Patience or long-suffering, according to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, is a, a fruit of the Spirit. With, within this immoral city, this church has witnessed patiently and consistently you know, patience implies this. They're working in such a way that much of the time there are no results that they can see from their work. There are no fruits that they can see coming from their labors in Ephesus. And so the Lord is saying, I am giving you the commendation of your patience in the work because you're working and you're working and often you don't see any results. But the Lord says, keep on working. I see your patience, and I know it's hard. But continue to work. Continue to do my outreach in that city. Now, at the time of this letter, this church was somewhere around 40 years old. It is not a mega church. It's not a huge, huge church in a city of 2 million people. Most likely... The church in Ephesus had a very precious few Christians with a vision of salvation for two million souls in that city. So they had to patiently work to the goal of reaching the city. 